Lord, that is our prayer that we would recognize our that you would open our blind eyes, soften our hard hearts, open our dull ears so that we could recognize our need for you. Grace, thank you for the privilege and opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth, to breathe, to see, to walk, to live, because in you we move and live and have our being. So, Father, we're just here to acknowledge you. And now as we open your word, God, that you would have your way with our hearts, that you would work in us, which is pleasing to you, that you would draw us and call us, bring us to that place, Lord, where you rebuke us, you woo us, you love us, you know us, you invite us, you call us, you lead us, you guide us, you empower us, you equip us. Father, you're the, you're the audience. We want to behold you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You can say hey to your neighbor. Hello, neighbor. Hey. Well, good morning. Thanks for uh, leading us this morning in praise and worship. And just take a couple of seconds here. Um, next Sunday, if I understand it rightly, Tim, you're kicking off the book of James in Sunday school class. So if you, uh, I would invite you this week, read through James, five chapters. About 16 minutes takes you to read through and uh, just come and enjoy what Tim has to share with us next Sunday for Sunday school. And remind you, we'll be praying about this in a little bit, but uh, just remember to this week, our students in our community go back to school. And so just pray for their school board the students, the families, the teachers, and just that whole interaction. So, but for now, I would like you and I would invite you to open your Bibles to Second Peter. And if you don't know exactly where that is, find Revelation. And just, uh, it should be right in that neck of the woods, just before Revelation. First Peter and Second Peter. And we've been working our way through, uh, we're kind of still in the introduction of Second Peter. But we've been, uh, we've been panning for gold here, and there's lots of gold everywhere in God's Word. I was bragging on Second Peter this morning to somebody on the phone early, and they said, Chris, Chris, all of God's Word is rich. 
And uh, so, yes, it's all rich. I'm going to focus my attention on verses 3 and 4, but I want to read a little bit more than that as I read the introduction. Let's uh, read along probably the first 10 verses. I'll read, you listen. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises and escape the corruption in the world. Add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Father, open our eyes to your word in Jesus' name. So as we move into uh, further into Peter's letter, I want to understand the source and the bedrock of his writing, the sovereign God that's behind everything he's going to tell us and explain to us because the, over the next couple of weeks, especially when we get to the phrase that you and I make every effort to add to our faith, I don't want you to misunderstand that that sentence is um, grounded and standing upon the sovereignty of God. We'll point that out in a second because in the next couple of weeks, as we say and we encourage ourselves and one another to add to our faith, things that he's going to tell us to add to our faith that we make sure that that responsibility that is ours to pursue God that God has made himself available but the the incredible privilege and the incredible responsibility that is yours and is mine to pursue a God who revealed himself is still even based and grounded in his sovereignty, the fact that he has revealed himself. And so it doesn't become all about our effort that we work without his work. He is at work in us that which is pleasing to him. And so that's what we're going to see. And in this section of scripture, not only just in this section, but all through scripture, you're going to see this entering mingling where he says his precious promises are given that we might participate in his nature. It's a staggering, breathtaking phrase. And I was even praying, I am not in a place in my own maturity, in my own walk with God, my own understanding of the scripture, to, to probably even begin to unpack half of what that means. That somehow we have the privilege to participate in God's nature through his precious promises, through what he has provided, 
through our knowledge of him. And so that's what Peter's trying to help them, his readers, understand here. And so God made himself available, and you and I have as much of him as we will. Think about that. You and I have as much of him as we will. You're in relationships right now. Each of your relationship is a reflection of your relationship with God. In those relationships, sometimes you're actually um, in a place of maturity enough to know that you have to be engaged in this relationship for it to grow. That it requires things of you. It requires commitment, devotion. It requires pursuit. It requires seeking. For that relationship to continue on, you have to be a part of it. And so there's no magic about this relationship with God. He doesn't just download maturity into your life, right? He gives you the opportunity to know him and walk with him. And it's just like every other relationship you're in. There needs to be participation on your part and my part because there's, he's all in, okay? He demonstrated that he's all in by putting his son on the cross to... Um, Destroy the barrier to him and to know him. And it's our task. So I'm going to focus on a couple verses here, but I need to just go back to um, verse 1 where it says, To those who through the righteousness of God, our Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Peter uses the word through in each of the first five verses, four verses, and again and again, he says, to those who through have received grace and a peace be yours in abundance through. And then he says, his divine power has given us the idea there is through. Th through him, we have life and godliness through our knowledge. And then he says, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them. So the idea is that through is the source, that God is behind all coming the reader's way. The people that, they would understand that everything that comes to them comes from God. And James says, every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shifting of shadow. And we need to understand he's laying the bedrock foundation that it's through him we receive faith. It's through him we receive grace and peace. Be yours in abundant. He's the source. He's the giver. And I want to establish that because there's, uh, if you would stop, you would have to ask yourself, is this for real? I mean, is this for real, this phrase here? His divine power has given us everything, everything we need for life and godliness. Is that real? So we have to ask ourselves, do we believe this life-altering, life-forming word? Do we trust these verses? Do we believe them? Are we, are we understanding the sweeping claim that they are making, not only on our lives, but on our future and on our potential? It's a staggering claim. Basically, God is saying that everything we need, everything you need, 
Because we're being told every day in the news media, we're all victims. We're all victims. We're all oppressed. Listen, God is saying everything we need for life and godliness comes from him. Food, air, water, relationships, shelter, meaning, purpose, Hope, joy, peace, grace, mercy, kindness, love, forgiveness. What does everything include? It would include everything that's substantial for life and godliness. But I'll explain that a little bit because life and godliness doesn't mean a brand new Corvette for Chris. Because I, I want one. It's everything I need. And there's a big difference between need and want. And there's a, yeah, I want it. There's a big difference between need and want, and there's a big difference in the word life in what he's talking about here. But you need to ask yourself, where am I going to have my needs for life met? If I'm not going to God, in whatever area I'm going somewhere else, I'm practicing idolatry. Idolatry means I'm looking for what I need from some other source than God. It could be as small as some unknown little secret you keep in the back corner of your heart where you're finding some pleasure that is stimulating other than the person and the nature and the character of God himself. So I have a friend. He, uh, he keeps a thankfulness journal. And I'm not sure if it's a practice every day, but it's quite regularly that if you were to call him and say, hey, let me know what you wrote down this morning. What are you thankful for? And he practiced that on a regular basis so that he remembers what's coming to him in his life is coming from God. So he practices thankfulness to keep him orientated rightly. And so when it says his divine power has given us everything we need, we can bank for sure that God is the one that's giving us this. Everything, what does it include? Do you think Peter's just making a generic statement here? Um, Could be. But maybe Peter, remember he's the one who denied Jesus. Peter's the one who started to walk on water and then started to sink. Peter's the one who took out the sword to cut off the servant's ear because he thought he could protect Jesus. Peter's the one who was there from the beginning learning about and watching Jesus. And so maybe Peter's thinking how Jesus met his deepest need. Maybe Peter's remembering how Jesus forgave him and reestablished him on the beach that morning after he denied him three times. And so in and behind these verses, although the word sovereignty isn't mentioned in these first few verses, the source of the blessings, okay, the source of the blessings, and I, I love to take little pieces of paper and make myself notes, and this morning... Well, not just this morning, but the last uh, few days, I, I did this. Just, I know you can't see it much, but you can see some colors. 
And what I did is I took those verses and I just wrote them down here so I could say, wow, look at the, the words that carry meaning and the, the group, they're grouped together in certain ways. So it says uh, the, the things that point to the sovereignty of God, his divine power, godliness, knowledge of him, his glory, his goodness, he, he has given his great and precious promises, participation in his divine nature, grace and per, peace and knowledge of God. So that's what that all those have to do with behind the scenes of God's sovereignty. And the sovereignty of God is, it's not simple, but it's simple. It's the teaching, the truth that God is supreme that he has supreme rule and authority over all things. A couple of verses, Psalm 103. And you could turn to that, or Tim's probably going to be working on getting some of these up on the board. But Psalm, Proverb, in Psalm 103, it says this, referring to God's sovereignty. Psalm 103, verse 19 says this the Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom rules over all Psalm 90 verse 2 says this before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting you are God Psalm 147, verse 5. Psalm 147, verse 5. It says this. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. And we can look up scores of verses that describe the sovereignty of God. But the fundamental thing is that God is the source of all life. Apart from God, there is no life. The word sovereignty is used over 300 times in scripture with frequently the most frequent uses of phrase that says, this is what the sovereign Lord says, or the sovereign Lord declares. God is ultimately in control of all things. He has decided that birds fly. He decided that fish... He decided the sun would govern the day and the moon and the stars would govern the night. He's decided the rules and the nature, the rules of nature, like gravity. Like when you plant a seed in the ground, it grows. He decided that humans breathe air and eat food to exist. And he decided that humans make choices that have radical and sometimes cataclysmic decisions. In his sovereignty. The sovereignty of God is expressed in his attributes. Attributes are his nature, his character. Basically, they're what God is like. Who he is. And what, here's a few of God's attributes. He's eternal. There was never a time when God was not. Bending how old you are, you haven't been around here very long. There was never a time when God was not. God's good. 
He's righteous. He's just. He is holy. He is perfect. He is pure. He is truth. He is right. He is faithful. He's true. He is self-existent, self-sustaining, self-sufficient. He's all-powerful, all-wise, all-knowing. He's love. He's the ruler. And we are responsible. God is the provider. We're the recipient. He's the creator. We're the created. He's the initiator. We're the responder. God's the giver. We're the receiver. God's the caller. We're the answerer. So there is salvation because there's a God. There's forgiveness because there's a forgiver. There's grace and peace and goodness and righteousness and truth because God is. There's love because he first loved us. They're genuine choices with real consequences that you and I make on a regular basis because God in his sovereignty has decided that it would be so. We're morally responsible before a holy God. He gave us a mind. He gave us a will. He gave us emotions. So the sovereignty of God is seen and understood in his character and in his nature, and in his creatures. So first and foremost, it means that he's supreme, that he has supremacy. He's infinitely elevated above all things. He's the highest of creation, and he's the source of creation. He's the designer and giver of life. He's subject to none, controlled by none. He's independent, Self-existent. He's in the heavens. Scripture says our God is in the heavens and he does what he pleases. He's the beginning and the end. He's the first cause of everything and we're the responders. And it's good for us to remind ourselves who's who in the relationship. If anyone has faith, it's because there's such a thing as faith. And God gives gifts of faith. God gives and provides. We receive what he has provided. And I just see that Peter's laying the groundwork because when he gets to the place to tell them, you know what? Grow in the grace and the knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. If this is how the things are, how ought you to live? That you should make every effort to add to your faith. That you should make every effort to be found spotless, blameless in him. Those are all verses right out of Second Peter. So now I just want to go back. I'm going to start in verse 3. And it says, his divine power. And I just want to unpack some of these words. Okay, his divine power. The word power is the Greek word dunamis, where we get the word dynamite. But here's the thing that you might not grab that, that I would it just helped me refresh my mind again as I studied through this. His divine power. And the word power there is focusing not necessarily on strength, but on achievement. It's achieving power. His divine power. He's done this. This is what he's done. This is what he's doing. He's given divine power, and it means to have the power to, the power or ability to carry out. And that power that is uniquely God's power. In Hebrews 1, it says, Who made the universe and sustains all things by his 
powerful word. He's able to humble those who walk in pride. Daniel 4. He's able to guard what I entrust to him. 2 Timothy. He's able to help those who are in need. Hebrews 2. He's able to save forever those who draw near to him. Hebrews 7. That all depends on God's power. His achieving power. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his own soul? The idea is there that God has power and by his grace, his divine power has given us. And the word given, which the NIV uses, is maybe sometimes a little weak. Okay? But when you look deeper, it's the word granted. And the word granted is describing giving a gift from, and the emphasis is on the generosity of the giver. His divine power has granted. His divine power has given. There's no giver like this giver. That's what this verse is telling us. There's no giver like this giver. And the verse earlier when he said that we have been given abundant grace and peace through our knowledge of him, there's an abundance and there's no end to the supply of what God has to offer. So the word granted, the word given, means that it's been given to us and we have as much of God as we will. If you don't remember anything today, write that little phrase down. You have as much of God as you will. And allow God to soak that in your mind over the weeks to come. You have as much of God as you will. Boy, it it makes me think about the times when I could have been pursuing him and I was pursuing things that didn't build my life and they didn't help me in my walk with him and my knowledge of him. Jesus has put into our hands great treasure, namely knowing God. And we have all that we have through him. Think about this. If a person is led into a vault, okay, And maybe you don't know what a vault is, but in the bank, they have vaults. And inside the vaults, there's precious stones, there's gold, there's silver, and there's cash. So if you were led into a vault and the person said, listen, you've got 15 minutes to go in, gather up all the loot you can gather and come out. So what if somebody comes out of there poor? That's the point that Peter's trying to communicate here. His divine power has given us everything we need. There's a responsibility for us on our part to pick up, to participate, to engage, to seek, to grow, to hunger, to thirst, to pursue. So if the person comes out of the vault... And he comes out poor. Where does the problem lie? It says, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. And I just want to take a second on the word life here. The word life is not bios, okay? There's a word life that has to do with biology, where you get the word biology, bios, from the Greek. There's another Greek word, and the word is zoe. And that word is speaking of the life of 
God gives, eternal life, God's life. So when he says everything we need for life and godliness, he's not just talking about bios life, biological life, where you have blood and air working together to form a human being. But it's a spiritual life. It's eternal life. It's transforming life. So Zoe is real, genuine life the way God intended it for man to live. The way Adam and Eve lived in the garden with God before the tempter and the counterfeit came and sold them a bill of goods to try another life. To replace the life that God had given them, communion with him, trust with one another, to try a different kind of life. And several times you can find the word life obviously used in Scripture. Jesus said, small is the gate, narrow is the way that leads to life. And few are those who find it. And he couldn't have been talking about biological life because they already had that. He was talking about Zoe. He was talking about eternal life. He was talking about the life that comes from God. 1 John 1, 4, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. God so loved the world that whoever believes in him receives eternal life, his life. It goes on, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Now, godliness is bound up in the person and the nature and the character of God. You're going to see it come up again in a couple of verses where it says, add to your perseverance godliness. And I want to make it clear that you don't misunderstand godliness, meaning that you go do good deeds. Godliness is bound up in the person and the nature of God. And godliness is inseparable from God himself. It's not like either goodness or godliness here. He's not talking about going and doing good deeds. It's much deeper. It's the characteristic that we add to our faith, but it's also the source of the characteristics that we add to our faith and the source of faith itself. His divine power has given us everything we need for life through his um, goodness, through knowledge of him, through his godliness and goodness. Godliness is an attitude and a lifestyle that acknowledges, and listen, I want to start this over. Godliness is an attitude and a lifestyle that acknowledges God's claim and God's right over the human life. Think about what that means. Because if you're anything like me, as you've gone through life, you keep asking the question who's in charge? Who's really in charge? And so godliness is an attitude and lifestyle that acknowledges God's claim and rights on the human being, on his life, to seek and to live in accordance with God's will, seeking to please him through um, awe and worship displayed in our behavior. So he's given us everything we need 
life and liness, for this relationship. So godliness is, is, is the life of God, but it's also expressed in and seen in one's personal love and respect and awe for God, grounded in truth, truth that he's the creator, the owner, the possessor, and a continuous recognition of humility before him, of my need to bow before him as God. And that includes knowledge of God and includes veneration, which is basically the, uh, a strong word for worship, devotion, affection, dependence, submission, gratitude. Godliness is the life of God recognized in the life of an individual. So if you were to say, wow, that's a godly person, you would say that because you're recognizing the character qualities of God's nature in that person. So bottom line, God is the source. And Peter's trying to get the reader's mind wrapped around that all these things come from God. That his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. And last week we talked a little bit about that word knowledge. And it wasn't facts, it was experience. It was experiential knowledge because you're in a relationship with a person. That's what he's talking about, through our knowledge of him. Not facts that say, well, there's a God out there somewhere, but the experiential knowledge that when you woke up this morning, you addressed him. Why did you address him? Because you believe in him. Why do you believe in him? Because you love him. Why do you love him? Because you obey him. And they're intimately connected. And your knowledge of him grows as you practice obedience for him. And so God is the source. So through his grace and goodness, he provided for us life and godliness and everything we need through relationships, hopes, opportunities, struggles, through our knowledge of him, we experience his love, his friendship. Through our knowledge of him, we experience peace and joy and hope and stability and wonder. Through our knowledge of him, we find there is meaning and purpose to life that goes far beyond our immediate circumstances. So think about just that gift alone. Where his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. You know what we need most of all, we need to see that there's more to life than just what's in front of our face. We need to see that there's more to life than just my next personal pleasure. We need to see that there's much more to life included in his plan, his purposes. So through our knowledge of God, we learn about our duty. We learn about our obligation. We learn about our responsibility of living a life of godliness, a life of goodness, a life of virtue, a life of effectiveness, a life of sacrifice, so that we don't come to verse 8 where it says, if you do not have these things, you're ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord. That would be, we don't want to get there. We don't want to be there. So through our knowledge of him, we learn Love in and through his precious promises. Through our knowledge of him, we learn about obedience to him. 
so that our lives do take on godliness and purpose and a mission that we do enjoy worshiping him. So through our knowledge of him, and I'm just trying to flesh out what it might mean when he was saying he's given us everything for life and godliness through our knowledge of him. Through our knowledge of him, we find one who meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners. And I'm just quoting scripture out of the book of Hebrews. When Hebrews exalts the Lord Jesus from beginning to end. So through our knowledge of him, we meet one who meets our need. And the need, I mean, I don't know if there's a greater gift to a human being than have his need exposed. And I mean the need that would keep us through the years of pursuing all these other things that we think that are going to satisfy that come up short, that don't satisfy. So through our knowledge of him, we find one who meets our need. We have one who sacrificed and suffered on our behalf. Through our knowledge of him, we realize he who's been crowned with glory and honor he who is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. One who is equal to God. And one who did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. One who has become our faithful and um, merciful high priest. And through his, our knowledge of him, we recognize that even whatever might be your greatest fear. And if you haven't faced your own death or the death of a loved one, you haven't met your greatest fear yet. But through our knowledge of him, we recognize that even death itself has lost its power. It's been swallowed up in his power. It's been swallowed up in the resurrection. Through our knowledge of him, we learn that there are virtues and values and purposes that far outweigh just living for personal pleasure. We can know and love and please the one who made us. We can learn to love others and pray for our enemies and forgive those who sin against us. Through our knowledge of him, we learn that people matter more than things. I learned that from God. I didn't learn that from myself. I didn't learn that from watching others. I learned that from God, and we learned that from God. We learned through our knowledge of God that people matter more than things, more than material possessions. Through our knowledge of Him, we learned that people, not stuff, is how we build and we're designed by God to find our deepest sense of belonging and community. And it's, it's tough work, isn't it? It's not magic. There's no fairy dust. You can't rewrite the stars. But you can be engaged in a relationship with a living, sovereign God who will change you from the inside out as you cling to him. Through our knowledge of him, we come to see our need for repentance, for humility, for reconciliation, for justification. We come to see our helplessness in ourselves to free ourselves from sin. We come to see and understand that he is holy, but we're sinful. We come to see that he is whole, 
but we're broken. We come to see that he's the redeemer, the savior, the only one who truly meets our need. So when he says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him, the focus and the emphasis in this letter, as we talked about last week, six or seven times he uses the word knowledge. And it's through our knowledge of him we learn that he holds all things together. That he's the creator and sustainer of all things. That through our knowledge of him we learn that from him, to him, and through him all things exist. In his sovereignty... He's given us opportunity to make choices that make a difference in our lives and the difference of those lives around us. No one can give themselves eternal life. It's a gift of God. No one can cause themselves to be born again. It's the work of the Spirit. And no one can earn salvation. It was won by the blood of Jesus. And no one can grow themselves. That's the work of the Spirit. As we seek his face, as we come to know him and continue in the journey of this endless knowing. So it's through the knowledge of him that we participate in his nature. And then as we participate in his nature, the result of that is we escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. Participate, fellowship, cooperation, obedience. It's about developing a walk with God. That's tangible. A walk with God that you know him and you're being known by him in a loving relationship. And that's affecting your life. The more I walk, the more I practice, the more I realize my words don't carry much weight unless my behavior backs it up. Because that's where the proof is in the pudding. That's where we walk this relationship out, and that's where the knowing is most effective. It's not head knowledge. It's practice because of it's being in an experiential relationship with God. So I'm just going to preface next week. It says, you can't see this, I realize, but you can see that there's words here, right? Down the page. And on the top, I put the word faith. And this is for me. This is in my office. And it says, the next verses we come to, for this very reason, make every effort. What kind of effort are you making at anything? It's just a question to ask yourself. Okay? So when he says make every effort, there's certain effort that's totally futile. And then there's effort that's useful and effective. And so he says make every effort to add to your faith. And then he goes through this list. Goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. So there's either one for every day of the week, because there's seven, or there's one for the next seven months. However you want to do it in your life, I would put these on a card or a piece of paper, maybe on your mirror, and just say, okay, this week I'm going to add goodness to my faith. But you have to stop and ask yourself, what's goodness? 
And I'll tell you this, goodness has nothing to do with helping the little old lady across the street. Goodness is a fundamental character of God's nature. And if you're going to add goodness to your life, first and foremost, you have to recognize that you are evil, that you are not good. And what you're adding to your life is not some good deeds that make you look good, but you're adding to your life participation in his nature. You're growing in an intimate relationship with a living God, and it's his goodness that will be the basis of the outpouring of your life and your actions. Father, we're just thankful. We're thankful for the opportunity to seek your face. We're thankful for the opportunity to participate in your nature, whatever exactly that means. And Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes more and more to the wide-eyed wonder of walking with you, of acknowledging you in each and every area of our life, to understanding that you have bought and paid for our lives, those of us who look to you with faith and those who look to you and recognize our need. Lord God, that you have a will and you can be pleased and we have a will. And you've invited us to cooperate with you. So, Father, I pray that you would use your word to sharpen our walk. That you would use our, your word to enlighten our understanding. But most of all, Lord God, that you would use your word to speak to us and invite us into a deepening relationship with you. We're thankful and grateful in Jesus' precious name. Amen.